Hello, and welcome to Crankhead Commentaries. As always, I'm your host, Jake Del Mastro, and as always, I'm joined by my very good friend, Keaton Byer. Hello, Keaton. Good evening, or afternoon, or morning, or whenever you happen to be listening, or whatever. Good right now. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, what film are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the 1994 science fiction film, Stargate. I believe it's described as a military science fiction film. Is it? I don't know. I think I saw that on Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, I mean, that seems reasonable. I mean, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> this is, it's a weird fucking film. It's it's weird on a lot of, a lot of different levels. On that's, a lot of different levels. That's what I was saying yeah. earlier. It's kind of hard to describe, so I guess... I guess we can just go straight into the plot and kind of go from there because <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Uh, do you uh, do you want to kind of describe it for the layman there, King? Yeah, I'll take a whack at it. Let's let's see here. <laughs> okay. Um. <sighs> so Kurt Russell. Yeah. Does it? St- I can't remember if it opens with the James Spader or Kurt Russell, but regardless, I'll start with Kurt Russell. So you got Kurt Russell. He is this like. Um... I think it might depend on which cut of the film. Because uh, there's a director's there a cut, direct- and then there's also a regular cut. That's right. I the... I didn't watch the director's cut. Nor did I. But uh, the cut that I watched started with James Spader. Okay, so I'll start with James Spader. Because in the director's cut, I believe it actually starts with the aliens. <laughs> oh right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I read that. Uh, but yeah. no, not in this cut. Um, so, so James Spader is a dashing young scientist. Um, I guess he's not dashing. Yeah, but scientist in quotes. <laughs> yeah, he's more of a linguist, or it's kind of <laughs> ill-defined what he is exactly. But well, he's an archaeologist, isn't he? I don't know. Is, is he? He studies Egyptology. That's yeah. He's an Egyptologist. Yeah, we'll say he's an Egypt. Yeah. Egyptologist who is giving yeah. a uh, some lecture um, to a group of a group of people who are are not having it, and they walk out on his ridiculous theories. But there's so, so, this... so why are these theories ridiculous though? Because they involve aliens. <laughs> <laughs> he's an Egypt. He's an he's an ali- ancient aliens uh, Egyptologist. He he right. don't accept his theories. Um, <laughs> Oh, you know what? I totally forgot the I movie fucking starts in Egypt, doesn't it? Where they uncover the Stargate. Oh, right, it does, yeah. But that's, no, you're right. that's that. Yes, the movie does start in Egypt. It's kind of important, too, actually. They uncover the Stargate in 1927 or something. And then and then James Spader gives his alien lecture yeah. uh, where everybody walks out because it's ridiculous. Um, and then he meets this strange old lady who is like, I've got a job for you. Um, and this is a lot like the beginning to the movie Atlantis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was that, was that after this, right? Yeah, that was after this. Right. I think uh, they kind of sh- spear off a little bit. Like, you know, there's not exactly a lot of similarities, but for a while, it's basically the same movie. But anyway. There are similarities. Anyway, this old lady gives him a, a job, and it turns out the job is deciphering the Stargate, because he's the only one somehow or some way. Anyway, he deciphers the Stargate not based on Egyptology in any way <laughs> by d- d- determining that the symbols that they're trying to figure out uh are, well, okay, uh, so but who who gave him the job? This old lady. No, no, but who's she working for? She's working for the government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's working for the military. She's the man. 
but she's independent. She's yeah. like an she's like an independent Egyptologist. It was her father who uncovered okay. the Stargate. So anyway, Kurt Russell comes into the picture, and he's this like you know, um, sad, suicidal. I guess it's only suicidal. It's only implied because he's holding a gun. Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. Well, also later in the movie. <laughs> oh well, does he actually say it later in the movie? Well, no, but he's willing to blow himself up. Oh well, yeah, I guess. But that's <laughs> all right. We're gonna have ourselves. Yeah, we might have we, we might have jumped the gun on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, but. So yeah, so Kurt Russell, he's um yeah, his character is laid out pretty plainly, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's just sitting there about to kill himself when the military arrives, um, because he his son killed himself by accident with Kurt Russell's gun, so he's all sad about that. Uh, and then the military shows up and it's like, we've got a job for you, Colonel. So Kurt Russell gets a haircut and goes. Reports to the Starbase at around the same time that uh, James Spader does. The Starbase? The Stargate base. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at around the same time that uh, 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 James Spader does. Um, and basically, more or less, all you need to know is they figure out the Stargate. They go through the Stargate. Um, on the other side of the Stargate, there's this kind of like sort of proto-Egyptian. I guess not proto, it's post-Egyptian. So can, can you explain for um, a second what the Stargate is exactly? Yeah, I guess I kind of jumped over that crucial <laughs> fucking detail. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the Stargate is like, it's like a portal, right? So, but it's it's like a ring that allows you to like travel. Across the it. galaxy. Across the galaxy through it. Like a, It's like a big disc with a bunch yeah. of symbols on it. Yeah, As we exactly. alluded to earlier. Yeah, there's a lot of symbols. Um, yeah. So James Spader deciphers the symbols um, through no uh, Egyptology whatsoever, and then he he goes on a mission with Kurt Russell and a bunch of other military dudes. They're gonna go onto the other side so that they can figure out how to get back. And this part of the movie is by far the most suspended disbelief part. <laughs> oh, why the military sent them through without first? figure deciding whether or not they could bring them back exactly they were just like 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 they were like daniel can you bring us back and he was like yeah and they were they didn't ask him like how are you sure about that <laughs> like, they just yeah they were like are him. you they were like are, are you positive and he was like yes and then also you know no... we can send cameras through and we can like look around so like maybe we should do that first yeah like the, the, the idea to put a man like the manned mission because they sent was... the robot through first and then they were immediately just like okay yeah it's safe let's go now yeah that's it's fine there's oxygen there's oxygen yeah. that's all we need to know <laughs> like what no this is the what about most looking Ill- at the symbols it's the most ill-advised exactly it's the most ill-advised mission of all time and again like the fact that they didn't ask james spader <laughs> yeah are you sure out. you know how to get us and, back? And not even that, like, how are you going to get us back? Like, they didn't yeah. even ask that question. Yeah, just trusted the ancient aliens guy blindly. Yeah, so that was silly. And it didn't work out for them because he didn't know how to get them back without finding a t- first a tablet that has the order of symbols. This is all details that you don't really need to know. Yeah. And, like, you should watch so, the movie. But anyway, it's pretty clear at this point that... that, that uh, that Daniel Jackson's uh, theories about the uh, pyramids yeah, were correct. Were correct. Yeah, they were ancient aliens. And Daniel Jackson is James Spader's for the the uninitiated. Um, yes. But 
Yeah, yeah. So there are periods, uh, pyramids, sorry, um, on this faraway planet, ancient aliens. It's all correct. They find this like post-Egyptian culture sort of um, who are like enslaved and like mining this mineral that is like also the same mineral that the Stargate is constructed uh, of. So, um, and then they find this like, there's this huge creepy god who's also an alien who's more of an alien than a god uh in fact because you know well, he's a he's an alien that pretends to be a god right exactly exactly so it's raw and he's enslaved human humanity basically in in ancient times in ancient egypt uh and he like what did he do so, he, like, so he's an ancient alien exactly <laughs> You really you're hitting the ancient alien. <laughs> we gotta hit it hard. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean that's um, pretty much the premise of the movie. Yeah, the premise <laughs> of the movie is is ancient aliens. Yes. So base basically, I don't know. I don't want to get too bogged down by details here, but there's some conflict between them and Ra, and they end up. Uh, like you know killing raw and freeing all the slaves and you know james spader gets the girl and kurt russell doesn't kill himself even though he was gonna kill himself and you find out that his actual mission was to kill himself Um, kill himself and everybody else and everybody (laughs) else yeah Yeah. well he was gonna blow up the the stargate from yeah the other side and yeah they don't really go into much detail so i think we can like it all works out. Everybody's happy. James Spader stays behind to do research, quote unquote, um, yeah. researchers, whatever. But yeah, so now we can kind of now that we've got that out of the way. <laughs> so yeah, that's what the film was about. You know, that's what the film. There was about. are ancient aliens. There are they, ancient aliens. They laid the Stargate here, or maybe they didn't. They don't actually say in the film. Um, no. So some initial uh, thoughts. <laughs> yeah. What are your initial thoughts, King? <laughs> Okay, so first of all, I think this movie's like so much. It's like a weird combination of like lofty and technical. Yeah, and like inconsistently. <laughs> yeah, like it was clear. Like we'll get into this a lot, I'm sure. Like the show and stuff, because well, yeah, I think it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about the the TV show based on the fact that it was way more successful than the movie. Exactly. Not that the movie wasn't successful, it did fine, but like um No, no. It, but it's 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 spawned the uh Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's the stepping stone. It's the stepping stone exactly. And like uh yeah, like on that note, like I'd actually I'd seen the TV series before I ever saw this film, right? So it's 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 definitely like hard for me to separate it yeah. in that sense. But like Yeah, well I I uh I hadn't seen I haven't seen much of the show. Like I've seen a few episodes here and there, but I'm not actually that familiar with the show. So at this point I'm more familiar with the movie probably than the, than the show. Okay. Yeah, um, that's interesting. So that'll but be yeah, a like, fun kind of interesting. Definitely like a, a lot of the questions that like you're left with from the movie are are sort of explored in the show, obviously. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not sure like in this episode we're going to get to much of the uh post kind of like, you know, uh details, you know what I mean? Like like the the 
the journey from the movie to the show. I think yeah, that's no, more I think that'll two. definitely be more in part two. But like, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, suffice to say, it, it, there was a bit of a journey. I think that they intended to make more than one movie. Yeah, I not. think so. And it was quite a journey. Yeah, but you know, it turned out okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so also interesting fact about this movie is that this was the first movie I ever had on Laserdisc. That is an interesting fact. And oh, how your collection has grown since. Yeah, I, I had this movie before I had a Laserdisc player. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I went this into movie's... Cops Records one day, and it was there. And uh, Larry was like, you know, I'll let you have it for five bucks. And like you know, it was inevitable at whatever point that you know I would, I would get into laser discs because that's just you know. It was the next logical step. <laughs> it for was you. the next logic logical step for me. So, uh, <laughs> I picked it up and then I went looking for a laser disc player. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, onto some some basic facts. So this movie was directed by Roland Emmerich, who I think is a more interesting character than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with him at all. Like before, right? I mean, you've definitely seen several of his movies. I think. Yeah, I like. I, I definitely have. But yeah, so if you've ever seen uh, Independence Day or uh, the Bad American Godzilla, <laughs> the, bad Amer- <laughs> the Bad American Godzilla. You mean the one with Matthew Broderick? The one with Matthew Broderick. Yes, it's an excellent movie. Right. He also worked on such films as Universal Soldier and The Day After Tomorrow. Oh, shit. Yeah. Like, these are all, like, peripheral movies. <laughs> I know, exactly. I guess except But they're all sort of, like, you know, like, fairly big budget sort of, like, you know, uh, blockbuster type movies, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, they're all blockbusters for sure, but they're, like, Universal Soldier, for example. Yeah, <laughs> like, That's I know, a real exactly. peripheral movie. Yeah, so, I mean, we're going to get into a little bit more about him in just a minute, but uh, yeah, but as the... we alluded to earlier, this movie stars Kurt Russell and James Spader. Uh, and what a duo they make. What a duo they make, exactly. I don't know. I think that uh, James Spader is really good in this movie. Yeah, he is. He, he's, he carries this movie easily because he's really fucking good, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. What a... What he what is he most famous for? Would you say James Spader? James Spader. Uh, what is he most famous for? I'm trying to like remember his like you know top top roles. Let's see. Yeah, yeah Pretty in Pink. Why wow, he's been in a lot of fucking movies. Yeah, he's been in a ton of movies. Stargate. Oh yeah, he's in Crash. Yeah, the David Cronenberg film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which we've briefly mentioned before. Shit ton of movies. Yeah. But yeah, I think people in general regard him as a pretty good, pretty quality actor right yeah oh he's won three emmys yeah he's got a few emmys he was in boston legal with will shatner right. yes he was he was nominated three times for a golden globe lost all three anyway um and obviously kurt russell we've covered in great detail i think uh yeah i think too much detail sometimes but yeah <laughs> not biographically other than his yeah. uh brush his encounter of the what was that was that the third kind no, that was the second kind. I think it was the second kind. Because he, saw, he like, saw it, but it wasn't like uh, there wasn't like a biological entity. Yeah, he saw a craft. Yeah. Anyway, wait, uh, it wasn't Matt... biological. Anyway, this is unimportant. 
Men in Black episode if you want to know more about that. Um, I I, I will note that this is another movie with aliens, specifically ancient aliens. That has Kurt Kurt Russell. Russell. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean another? Go on. No, no, I mean like you know this is just some another connection between Kurt Russell and aliens. It does keep fucking going, doesn't it? It just gets deeper and deeper. Yeah. Perhaps, uh, perhaps we'll talk about Kurt Russell a bit more, but who knows? Yeah. So, as I alluded to earlier as well, uh, Roland Emmerich tends to to do sort of like you know big Hollywood blockbuster type movies. Would you care to guess the budget? Ooh, a lot. Nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Um, like it. There's a lot of a lot of extras in this movie. <laughs> there's a lot like of extras. Big there's sets. a lot of special effects. Yeah, lots of special effects. I'm gonna say the budget elaborate costumes was forty no yes forty five million dollars. You're relatively close. It's fifty five million. That's not bad actually. Yeah. I mean, you know, if that movie was made today it would be double that. <laughs> yeah. And um yeah, I think we can we can wait until we talk about sort of the uh the release of the movie before we talk about how much money it made, but um so what? Just the way you said that, I there's some. It sounds like there's an implication there, but anyway, we'll, let's move, we'll move on. We'll oh, get to that. I, I didn't mean to imply anything. But, oh, okay, okay. But yeah, um, so yeah, obviously we mentioned it later. Went on to produce the Stargate SG One television series and the spinoffs of that TV series. Yeah, there's what like three other ones, which yeah are undoubtedly more notable than the movie itself. But the show that's not what series, we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the right. movie is notable for its uh, for its role and all that. So, so should we talk a bit about Roland Emmerich a bit? Uh, yeah, I think we should. Um, Just because, as you say, he's an interesting character. Yeah. So the way I think that I would describe Roland Emmerich is that he is a director who, in general, makes big budget movies, which in general are pretty successful. And in general, are critically panned. <laughs> yeah, classic. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good niche. Yeah, <laughs> is it really like, a niche if the, your movies are successful? I guess not at all. It's a large rut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's like, like Independence Day. Like, is that critically panned? Yes, I think so. Uh, let me check what uh what did roger ever have to say about it <laughs> although he's not necessarily a good example of... no but i mean he's usually uh he's usually pretty consistent with like he's a pretty consistent reviewer you know what i mean like he tends to be a good barometer for what critics thought yeah <laughs> okay so roger ebert gave it a two and a half out of ten or it's two and a half out of five oh, okay that's a bit better. Not out of ten he that's still that's, that's independence day he gave two and a half out of five yeah Um, And, like, the general, I think, reaction to a Roland Emmerich movie is that it is crass and stupid and full of special effects, essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's true of this movie. Yeah. And and as we're about to find out, he he got started doing that pretty early. (laughs) So, so, he was born, he was born in Germany. Yeah, uh, he, so he was born in Stuttgart, um, in, in West, West Germany, Germany specifically. Yeah, and uh, he attended the 
Film School HFF Munich, which stands for something I'm not going to try to pronounce. I will. Here we go. Hochschule für Fernsehen und Film München. Hochschule für Fernsehen und Film München? That's better than I did. Um, so while he was at HFF, he created a sci-fi film for his thesis, which was called The Noah's Ark Principle in 1984. Sounds pretty lofty. Yeah, I know. Like, first of all, it was a feature film, which like, you know, I don't know how many student films are feature films. Not a lot, I don't think. If they are, they're not good ones. Yeah, and he um, shockingly managed to raise 1.2 million Deutschmarks for the budget, which equates to around $600,000. Jesus Christ, do you have any idea how he managed to raise that much money? I have no fucking clue. But but for reference, most other student films basically at the time were made for around 20,000 Deutschmarks. Jesus Christ. So he had like like, like a hundred times the budget. Times the budget, yeah. <laughs> I want to see this movie. Like I saw the trailer for it. It looks damn impressive for a student film, and also damn impressive for six hundred thousand dollars. Like, wow. but yeah, like you know, there were you know some interesting sets, and there were some special effects and shit. It looked pretty good, you know. Wow. So it actually did pretty well then. Well, I don't think it was actually well, I really. Mean... It wasn't released, obviously. I mean, it didn't... well, it was it was it was shown at uh, the Berlin Film Festival, where it was oh, okay. uh, it was it was generally well regarded for its technical mastery. Um, <laughs> however, it did not win any prizes at competition. Right. So people were impressed by the fact that a student made a film that like looked that good, but it like wasn't actually like that good of a movie. Yeah, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. After this, he shot three films in Europe, uh, Joey, Hollywood Monster, and the sci-fi action film Moon 44 in 1990, which had Malcolm McDowell in it. Uh, Oh, wow. It's a little crossover there. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Uh, Well, vague crossover, because we didn't actually talk about Clockwork Orange, really. No, but you said his name in one of the episodes, I believe. I did. Um, (laughs) So... It was at this point that uh, he was invited uh, to come to America by wow. producer Mario Casar. Wow, so he made it big. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mario Casar is like most known for uh, basically Rambo and such. Oh, really? He produced Rambo? Yeah. Right. So he was asked to come over to work on this film called Isobar. Isobar. Never seen it. Well, because it never came out. Right. <laughs> because it, it was uh, it was originally supposed to be directed by Ridley Scott. Oh fuck! And um, so they brought also, over a dime store Ridley Scott. <laughs> I think that that was the idea. Yeah. So Ridley Scott was supposed to was supposed to direct it, and uh, it also had some work done on it by HR HR Giger, who also did Alien, who did oh, a lot right, of the concept right. work for Alien and designed the aliens. Right. Um, and it was supposed to be, like, Alien on a Train. That sounds sick. And it was also supposed to star... But wait, uh, hold on. Alien on a Train. Well, hold on, go back. That does sound sick, but when I go back to it, isn't that just Alien? Like, Alien's on, like, a, spa- a spaceship's just, like, a space train. 
I mean, kind of, but like. So, like, know. what's the difference? Like, how, what, like, on like an actual locomotive? Yeah, like a train, train, you know. Kind of cool. Uh, it's probably like an HR Giger looking train as well. <laughs> like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also, it was supposed to star Sylvester Stallone and Kim Basinger. Oh, fuck. Well, I'm so disappointed this film wasn't made. <laughs> Um, so, but anyway, so after they brought in, uh, German dime store Ridley Scott, they, <laughs> <laughs> they, um, he began working on another draft of the script with uh, a friend of his, Dean Devlin, who he also worked on Moon 44 with. Right. But various, uh, disputes with the studio involved them rejecting Dean Devlin's draft of the film. And uh, at which point Emmerich refused to direct the film unless they uh, used that draft. And then the project basically fell apart and they left. So. (laughs) So that's that's why do what they tell you when you've got an option to make Alien on a Train with Sylvester Stallone. It, it didn't turn out too badly for him because I guess Mario Casar really wanted to work with him or whatever because he he brought him in to work on another movie <laughs> whose director had been replaced. Dinosaur um, Ridley Scott. Uh, who, yeah, who is so he replacing this time? He's replacing Andrew Davis, who I don't know that much about. Um, Andrew Davis. What else is he? Holes. Uh, <laughs> Holes with Shia LaBeouf. That's, That's a weird, yeah, that a weird one. movie. Oh, Under Siege and The Fugitive. <laughs> Oh, the fugitive. We've talked about that a couple of times. Did we? Yeah, not I think like so. really. Um, and then under siege yeah. with that's a great with movie. Steven Seagal. Yeah, he also did another movie above the law with Steven Seagal. I think a couple of more of these are with Steven Seagal. Is yeah, the final terror? Okay. No, 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 it's not. Well, it makes sense why he was gonna then do Universal Soldier. Yeah, yeah, totally. It all adds up. So yeah, Universal Soldier, who. who um, who Roland Emmerich was being brought on to replace Andrew Davis on. So they brought in Dime Store Andrew Davis. They brought in Andrew Davis to work on this project starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph <gasps> Lundgren. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, we were. I forgot it was Universal Soldier yeah, we were talking about. Yeah, we are talking about Universal Soldier. Yeah. Um, which is a bit of a silly movie. Oh, it's a ridiculous movie. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> like, as you mentioned, it's... Uh, kind of sums up his successful his big style, budget movie if you could call it that yeah <laughs> crass as you said and uh yeah but but you know a lot of explosions and shot shooting each other and stuff yeah so he worked on uh he worked with the Devlin again uh, on this project and uh the movie turned out to be a hit however it was panned critically yeah but they made a lot of money so the studio couldn't give half a fuck could they yeah on that sort of movie <laughs> So, uh, on their next project, which would be another Mario Kassar, uh film, would be Stargate. Stargate. So, Mario Kassar really likes, uh, just likes, uh, uh, Emmerich. I guess, yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I guess the Universal Soldier made money. I'm sure he likes money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so how did Stargate come about then? So, he... Are we going to get into some production here? Yeah, we're going to get into some production. So I couldn't really find much about this, but basically I guess they were just like, okay, let's make another movie. <laughs> yeah, they were like, okay, you made money. They gave him, I guess, a bit more freedom than he had last time. They were like, let's make your movie, Emmerich, or whatever. Yeah, so um, 
basically him and Dean Devlin, who had worked on, who he had been working with as Dean yeah, Devlin's the like, writer. Yeah. Uh, they were trying to come up with uh, ideas for a movie, and then they had two ideas for a movie that they thought were really good. And so what do you do when you have two ideas for a movie? You merge them and make one big movie. <laughs> Let's do them both. You could either so, work out a way to do one of them really well, or you could haphazardly mash them together. So does this surprise you that, that this movie started as two different, completely different ideas? Not at all. <laughs> anyway, so, so Emmerich's idea was going to be called Necropole City of the Dead. And Sounds it was about lofty. an ancient... These both sound very lofty. Okay. It was about an, an alien spaceship underneath the Great Pyramids. Sick. I'm here for it. And, and Devlin described his idea as Lawrence of Arabia on another planet. Oh, fuck. That is sick. No, I totally You got to it. see both of these. They were yes. the same movie. They are the same movie. I would like to... I think if it were up to me, I would have Although, gone with idea B. In, I mean, they kind of did, though. Yeah, it's true. It's more idea B than it is IA, really. Well, it's, just... well it's, the only reason why it's not idea A is because the spaceship was on top of the pyramid instead of underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> well, that's a major difference. Yeah, I know. That's a hard movie to pitch. Uh, This one? Like, mashing Lawrence of Arabia with... Aliens. Alien spaceships under the Great Pyramid. Yeah, no, like, I think that, like, both of these really show through. These ideas both show through in the end. Oh, yeah, no, totally. Like, especially Lawrence of Arabia on another planet. Yeah, like, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, uh, James Spader being the <laughs> Lawrence being type. Being the Lawrence, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, uh, James Spader and Kurt Russell both kind of occupy that role. I guess, yeah. Speaking of uh, James Spader and Kurt Russell, should we discuss how they uh, how they came to be in this film? Yes, we should. So, one of those actors is definitely more uh, had more going on at the time than the other, I believe. Uh, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Yeah. So Kurt Russell. What was Kurt Russell in around now? Um, he was pretty famous around then, right? Okay. So we're talking about early nineties. Yeah. So. Tango and Cash, nineteen ninety four. Backdraft, nineteen ninety one. Tombstone, nineteen ninety three. Oh, no, no. yeah, oh Tombstone was... was, yeah. Backdraft, Tombstone, all huge movies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, so he was pretty successful, and they wanted, they they wanted, they had him in mind, I think, and uh, they Kurt basically Russell in mind? They, Kurt Russell, yeah, yeah. So they sent him a script, and uh, he didn't like it, and he turned the movie down. <laughs> Several why, times, why apparently. Why did he like it? What's not to like? <laughs> oh, he just thought the script was really bad. <laughs> and uh, according to Devlin, uh, he said that uh, he found out later that Kurt Russell had accidentally been sent the wrong script. What is... Th- what? No, bullshit. Like a very early draft of the film. But how did he turn and it down then, multiple times? To- I guess he only had the one Well, because they kept asking him. Right. And giving him different offers, I guess. Right, right. And so then when Kurt Russell, when they sent him a more up-to-date copy of the script, uh, according to Devlin, um, 
Kurt Russell said, oh, this isn't so bad. <laughs> so, like, I get the sense, like, from this, uh, from what I've been reading of, like, all these different people talking about the movie that nobody was, like, really, like, super excited about doing this movie. No, that's kind of the vibe I got, too, is nobody really was, like, it kind of was, like, you yeah. Right. Except for Roland Emmerich, he really wanted to do it. Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Him and Devlin were really into it. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't so bad. What a ringing endorsement of your film. I know. So now we move on to James Spader, who I think is a more interesting story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, James Spader has said, uh, acting for me is a passion, but it's also a job. And I've always approached it as such. <laughs> I see where this is. I going. have a certain manual laborist view of acting, <laughs> and there's no shame in making a film just because you need some effing money. <laughs> <laughs> is that so? That's what he is. That he, what was the context of him talking about that? Was he talking about this movie? I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, he he had also said. Uh, that when he first read the script, the script was awful, and that sort of intrigued me. <laughs> oh, this is, yeah. I like James Spader. He's growing on me here. And he said that that uh, because he thought it was so bad, he decided to get in touch and meet the director. That's so weird. Because he was like, who made this? I need to know more about the mind behind this horrible movie. Yeah. And he said that after meeting Roland Emmerich and seeing how excited he was about doing it, and that uh, that basically filming the film would be kind of like a, an adventure, that he decided <laughs> to do it. I, I guess that's all you need. You just need some good, some passion, and other people will will pick up on it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, be like, yeah, okay, I'll do it for the money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's all There's you need. No shame in taking a film because you need some fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let's talk. Let's talk about Jay Davison, who played Raw in this film. Yeah, D- Jay Davison has a weird career, huh? Uh, a very small career. <laughs> what is it like? Three films. Basically, yeah. So Davison was fresh off a critically lauded performance in The Crying Game. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I remember that movie. In which, I don't know if I should ruin The Crying Game, but you might have had a lot, enough time to watch it. <laughs> go, yeah, go watch The Crying Game. It's 1992. Yeah, it's been... You could ruin The Crying Game, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he plays a trans woman in The Crying Game. Yeah, and so he was beginning to dislike the attention that came from being an actor, and he did not want the role. Yeah, well, because he people thought he did a really good job, and that like he was. Yeah, exactly. Did he win an award for it? I believe he won several awards. Oh uh, yeah! Wow. So there you go. But yeah, so he did a really good job and was was getting like lots of attention for it. And uh, he didn't like it, so... Uh, fair enough, yeah, no, fair but enough. rather than turning down the role outright, he was like, nah, okay, if you give me... He, he made the ridiculous... What he thought was the ridiculous demand of one million dollars, <laughs> thinking that we they would just, like, leave and be like, nah, we're not giving you a million dollars. However, <laughs> they were like, yes, we will give you one million dollars. <laughs> 
No way. That's crazy. <laughs> so, um, so he d- accepted the demand. So, so ridiculous. yeah, his demand was accepted, and afterwards he immediately quit acting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Did he quit because of this movie? No, I think he just didn't want to like be Continue an actor to be anymore, an actor. and then so, he just took it because it was a million dollars. So, so yeah, so that's gonna be the easiest million dollars he ever made. I mean, he doesn't even do that much in this movie. He like, I guess, like he's the villain, but like he doesn't even like. All his his uh, lines are dubbed over anyway, I think, aren't they? Because they're all in the exactly, alien voice. Exactly. Yeah, it's not even. <laughs> yeah, it's not even his voice in in the movie. Yeah, like I don't know why Roland Emmerich really wanted him in the movie so badly. I mean, he was. It was uh, give it some some cachet, some legitimacy, you know, some critical legitimacy. Because I mean, Kurt Russell's right. not going to give. Kurt you... Russell wasn't going to do that. Yeah, and James no, Mader was just in it for the money. <laughs> exactly. So you need like you know that you know artistic. Yeah. X factor. <laughs> right. And that's uh, that's Jay Davidson. So yeah, that's uh the cast. Uh, I think we should uh, move on to the music. What do you think of the music in this movie? Oh, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. No. I like it's probably my favorite part of this movie. Yeah. It's it, it it's probably. Like all things considered, the consistently best element of the movie. Yeah, and like it, it very much plays into the uh, the Lawrence of Arabia in space. Uh, oh, absolutely! Yeah. Angle of it, uh, like absolutely. it's very reminiscent of the Maurice Jarre score in Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, they probably told him that. Yeah, so, they were probably like, make it like this. So who did? Well, okay, so but you know that it was good, and it was good because like they like they managed to use it. As the theme song to a TV show for ten year for ten seasons, so like, holy shit! So it actually they carried it over to the TV show. Well, they they did rearrangements, but it was the same theme basically. Right, 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 right. That's intense. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so the score so, was by. Sorry, what were you gonna? I was just gonna say so it was the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it was uh, scored by Grammy Award winner David Arnold. David Arnold. What else has he done? He has done a lot. <laughs> uh, he's scored five James Bond films. Oh, fuck, which ones? Uh, I think they were mostly the Pierce Brosnan ones. Oh, okay. Uh, he did uh, Godzilla, the Roll Network. <laughs> he worked with Roll Network a couple times, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also worked on uh, Independence Day, for which he won the Grammy. Oh, yeah. Uh, he he, was, Grammy he for... actually worked on Zoolander as well, which we've covered. Which we've covered, yeah. Wow, we didn't talk about him. Yeah. I don't think we talked about the music so much. No, I don't think we did. Yeah, he's he's done like a lot of just you know, oh, yeah. Hollywood movies. Oh yeah, I see. He did too fast, Real successful. too furious. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, but he hasn't done a um, a movie soundtrack since 2012. Yeah, probably because he's so rich. <laughs> You're probably yeah. fucking right. <laughs> but. He wasn't always this way. At the time of his hiring for Stargate, he had only scored one film and was working at a clerk at either a video store or record store. The sources do not seem to agree all the time. A video store or a record store. I mean, it's similar vibe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's intense. I, so that this movie kind of skyrocketed in them, I guess. I guess not. Oh, this yeah, movie, absolutely. But... 
and so yeah, he's going to immediately like you know uh, writing music for you know Hollywood a films. blockbuster Hollywood movie and for orchestra and everything. It's uh, it's pretty pretty epic. I don't know how exactly it was he was picked. That's what I was gonna say. Like, did he know David? Did he know? Emmerich or something like how did that happen I possibly because he was also from Europe he was he was uh British but um right so he, I'm not exactly sure he acted in the film the young Americans as well as composed the score yeah <laughs> that's so weird that's just so weird I don't understand yeah and then I guess you know he turned out to be really good I don't it's so weird uh do, do you want to Maybe play some selections from the uh, Yeah, score? let's hear some of it. Okay, wait one second. So that, what we've heard at the beginning of the episode, that was the main theme. That was the overture. The overture. And and once again, like, if you've ever seen Stargate SG-1, the TV series, a lot of these themes show up. <laughs> Sorry, Keaton, yeah, you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a good theme. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, it's, uh... And, like, part of it is just, like, it's a super, like, memorable melody, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's easy to hum. Yeah. Well, I was thinking it's got such a kind of a almost... I mean, that's what... Uh, why he's so good. It's got kind of a John Williams, the uh, Indiana Jones vibe, almost. It kind of feels like... Yeah, um, I can see that. It's it's just epic, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's got that that next level epic feel, which like really elevates some of the movie. Because like, if what's happening on screen is like super yeah. stupid, and that like epic music is playing, it it elevates it. Like even that la- like the final scene of this film, like when the when the slave people all like show up and like charge over the hill, 
I like almost yeah. got emotional, but it's like I knew it was a hundred percent because of the soundtrack. Well, that's a very cliche scene. Exactly. I was like, come on, <laughs> you're not actually getting me. I've it's seen just... the scene a million times. Yeah, exactly. And this is not the best version of it. Yeah, I know. Um, it was fine. It was it was good. But it might be the best version of the music. Exactly. It was very good music. Um elevated that scene. Actually let me see if I can find the music for that scene. Like I think a thing that we were kind of talking about a little bit uh, the other week, where yeah, it uh, it brings in the same themes over and over again, but it yeah. it sort of re like it plays them in a different way such that it suits the mood of the scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of good movie scores will do that, where they like yeah, kind of quote themselves you know. to kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. It gives it like a sense of consistency and whatnot, and like you know. Yeah, but also they'll sort of massage the theme and play it on like different instruments or whatever to try to, you know, make it make more sense in the, the track. You know. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you know, if they're like by a campfire, fire, they'll play it on like a banjo, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Which they don't do in this movie. They don't do. That's the Although worst. I think example. there is like, a campfire at some point. There are several, but that's the worst example I could have thought of. But still, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Like it, it is so impressive. It's like for your like second film to like have a soundtrack that's like that kind of dynamic and like dense. <laughs> yeah, really impressive. Yeah. Really impressive. So, so we're a fan. We're fans. Um, you know what else I'm a fan of? What? <laughs> 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 Excellent segue. <laughs> so Welcome have we again. Talked about who, who wrote that? Sorry, have we ever talked about who wrote that bit? Yeah. Was it Alexander Courage? Yeah, I don't know. Was it? <laughs> Let's find out. I know he wrote the theme. The main for, theme, yeah. Uh, for Star Trek, but... Uh, Can't believe it's never come up before. It says he's wrote the theme music for Star Trek and some other music for the series. <laughs> I mean, I, I, could, I could find this out, but it would probably take more time. <laughs> we'll come back to it later. <laughs> yeah.
Okay, so we have three connections today, as we always do. Yes. On six, six degrees of Star Trek. Yes. Introduce the segment. I cut you off while you were doing that. You did, yeah. Six right. degrees of Star Trek, where we find connections between this film and Star Trek to any screen Star Trek appearance or um, almost screen appearance. Yeah. Or intended for screen, but never made it appearance. Exactly. Uh, and we have all direct connections this time. I c- kind of imagine there would be, to be honest. There would be, like, a lot of crossover. Just because of, like, you know, the era. There was a lot of Star Trek. Um, yeah, there was a lot of Star Trek. You know, there were three Star Trek television series going on at this point. Exactly. There's a lot of Star Trek going on. Oh, wait, on. no. There might have been two. Two? Well, I mean, like, four Star Trek series happened, like, on either side of this film. So yeah. there's, like, a lot of Star Trek while people who made this right. film were active. Yeah. And right, then, but at the, at, the, at the point that this film was running, I believe it was only TNG and Deep Space Nine. Right. Voyager would come a couple of years later. Yeah, a couple of years later. But the point is that that uh, since this is a big budget film, it just kind of it makes sense that there'd be a lot of direct crossover. But lay yeah. it on me. What, who do we have? What, what is it? Is the real? Okay, nougat. so the first connection is somebody who we've brought up before. Oh, really? <laughs> Uh, Eric Ovari, because he was also in The Mummy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, classic. I actually... Yeah. I definitely Did watched the episode. Him? Yeah, yeah, I remember. It's the second I saw him, I was like, that's the professor. Yeah, I know. Uh, what was it? Terrence Bay? No, Earth Bay? What? What is his name? Professor Terrence Bay, was he in The oh, Mummy? right. I forgot that he actually had a name. Yeah, he did. You know, he wasn't like the Egyptologist. Yeah, I thought he was the Egyptologist for some reason. No, he he was an Egyptologist, I guess. But he wasn't the Egyptologist. No. He was not an Egyptologist in this movie. He was, uh... He was an Egyptian? Well, kind of. He was... The term they use in the show is an Abydosian, because they're from the planet Abydos. But I don't know if they ever called the planet Abydos in the movie. No, I don't remember that. Actually, maybe. Maybe. I don't remember that, but... Yeah, but they're like they're descended from Egyptians. They're descended from the ancient Egyptians. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, he was in the 2001 Star Trek Enterprise episode Terra Nova, in which he also plays, uh, you know, a person from Earth. Sorry, the descendant of some people from Earth who were no way brought over to. Uh, Another planet. So when when did he do that? When would that have been before or after this movie? This is after this. Two thousand one. Oh, two thousand one. Enterprise. Said, yeah. yeah, yeah. Enterprise. Oh, actually, he was also in the Stargate TV series. No he was way. The only one of two actors to be in both the movie and the TV show. Yes. Okay. Well, we're gonna have a section about this next episode because there's a lot. I have a lot there's of a questions. There's a lot of stuff we gotta talk about. Yeah, I have, yeah. I have a lot of questions about about the TV show and the movie and the connection between them. But as we'll get to that next episode. Yeah, um, but actually, there's a lot of connections between Star Trek and the TV show as well. Oh, really? Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> They're like, I mean, I think part of that is because like after uh, Star Trek uh, ended, like Star Trek Stargate was like the other long running sci-fi series that like, yeah, right, the actors right. went on to be on you know what i mean yeah yeah the, the salt of the earth as we've called them 
exactly. <laughs> so you get the same kind of people who who would show up on both of them, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Similar kind of similar kind of operations. Yes. Although wasn't Stargate the next shot in Canada? Stargate was shot in British Columbia. Fuck yeah. Yeah, uh, that and the X Files as well. You get a lot of crossover there too, because that was also shot in PC. Fuck yeah. But anyway, uh, we, but we anyway, got sidetracked. Yeah. We have two more connections to go through. All right. And uh, the next actor we have is Mr. Leon Rippey, who played in this film General West, who was the oh yeah yeah, yeah. Of the I in the Stargate program, I guess. The guy who didn't ask any follow-up questions. Yeah, the guy whose entire fault this was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I, 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 um, I know you're gonna, you're gonna know this episode. What episode that is he it? He was in. Uh, so he was in an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation called "The Neutral Zone." Oh yeah, that's a that's a I watched that fairly recently. You did. That's why I knew you would recognize it. Which which episode? What one is that again? Just. It's the one with all the people who were frozen, and then they... Oh, yeah, yeah. Was he one of the people who were frozen? He was oh, yeah, LQ Sonny Clemens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was Sonny Clemens, the guy who fucking grabs Deanna Troy's ass. Yep. <laughs> oh, <God>. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awful. That's hilarious. Very different character. Yeah. That dude's got well, range. Well, I mean, I don't think he has much of a character in this movie. No, he's a buttoned up military man he's a walking pile of exposition <laughs> exactly exactly was <laughs> his name again general west or the actor oh leon rippy leon rippy a lot of range leon yeah a lot of range military general or a yokel <laughs> i don't even know yeah so this next actor yeah has appeared separately in two episodes, each in a different series of Star Trek, many years apart. Okay. I assume not the same character? Not the same character at all. Classic. <laughs> classic Star Trek. <laughs> so, in this film, he played basically just one of the Marines, I guess. They're not Marines. They're the Air Force. The Air Force soldier guy. He played one of, the, one of the guys on the squad. One of the grunts. One of the grunts, right? Yeah. Uh, Derek Webster. Derek Webster. Who is credited as just Brown. As just Brown. Okay. I assume that's his last name. <laughs> like, right, right. He's, he's only referred to as Brown on screen. <laughs> that's how you know how important he is. Yeah. Doesn't even have a first name. So, he was in Star Trek The Next Generation in 1993. Uh -huh. In the episode Gambit Part 1. Which season was that? Uh, season 7. God, I'm not the final that. season. Uh, this is the one where uh, Captain Picard and Riker are captured. By, well, they become like uh, secret like agents, kind of. In Anyway, they get <laughs> captured by these people who are like archaeological gangsters. Huh. I don't remember that episode. Uh, and he plays Lieutenant Sanders, who I assume is just some random person on the bridge yeah is he uh is he a member of the is he a member of the crew is he start i assume i let me i don't actually i don't actually know without watching the episode but uh i assume he's just a guy on the enterprise on the bridge 
All right, David Webster. But that's not it because he was also oh Derek Webster, sorry. Derek Webster. What else was he? He was also in Star Trek Picard in two different episodes. What? <laughs> that's the most coincidentally also with Patrick Stewart. Sorry, he was a Romulan guard in in two episodes of Star Trek Picard. Do you think he was like? Do you remember me? Pro- wait, to Patrick Stewart? Yeah, to Patrick Stewart. Do you think they had like a conversation? Maybe. Very possible. I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty yeah. coincidental. That's pretty fun. And uh, coincidentally, he was he was also in Independence Day and Godzilla. So I guess Roland Emmerich remembered him. I guess so, or maybe it's just a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <maybe. laughs> I'm gonna Google images him because his he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. He has an IMDb page. I wanted to see what his face looks like. Derek Webster. Can I I want to know which grunt he was, you know? Which, who's brown? Oh, he's that guy. Gotcha. Yeah. Let me see if they even have a picture of him, Stargate, on IMDb. They do not appear to. They do not. <laughs> oh, they do. They do. Oh. He's in the background of the shot. <laughs> I'm sorry, we just keep ripping on this guy. <laughs> it's not ripping. <laughs> yeah. He did an excellent job. He just didn't have a picture on IMDb. That's all. It wasn't a mem- memorable role. That's all. No, it was not. But his Romulan guard role in Picard, I'm sure it's very memorable. Not really. I didn't remember it until it was at the, uh, at the IMDb page. <laughs> <laughs> so is that, are those anyway. the connections? Those are the connections. There are three of them, and they are all direct. Fuck yeah. One of them even connects to the other episodes of this podcast. That, it's such... It's getting pretty... Uh... You know, to be honest, we could do a Six Degrees of the Stargate. Like, that would be a possible thing. Oh, like, right. yeah, yeah. I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it's a thing that could be done because of how many people have been on it. I think you brought that up before. <laughs> yeah. Was it when we were talking about The Mummy? Actually, probably. probably, yeah. That tracks. Yeah. Another movie about ancient Egypt. Yeah, exactly. There's, you know, we've got our themes that we stick to on this show, apparently. Yeah. And one of them is about aliens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I, I'm sure you're not going to look into at all next week. No, no, no. No. Why? <laughs> Why would I do that? No. Uh, Kurt Russell? Aliens? Kurt Russell aliens? Ancient aliens? Egypt? No. Pyramids? All right. I think we've uh, we've pretty much covered. I think everything we want to do here in part one now. Uh, yeah, this is that's part one for you. Part one down. Hope you guys enjoyed. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're gonna be back next week, as we always are, with part two, where we will we'll, we'll cover you know the production. More and, production. Because we and then there's... Keaton will have all his questions answered about Stargate SG One. Exactly. <laughs> including questions he didn't have. Oh, yeah, exactly. Just all questions answered. Not necessarily even my questions. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Do you have anyone to shout out for us this week? Yeah, I'd like to give a shout out to our German listeners. Fuck, yeah. Guten Tag. Guten Tag to all of you. Uh, Maybe we're all German. I don't know. Yeah, if you're listening, you're invited. I don't think he lives in Germany. I think he lives in Hollywood. Yeah, I would assume so. But still, if you're listening, we'll you're in my country. As is Derek Webster.